listening to Two Broke Writers, an Australian podcast about raves, reviews and rants on the media you love. Listeners should be warned that this episode contains a lot of arcane spoilers, so please watch that show first then come back here. We will also be discussing the explicit themes of violence and drug use as they come up in the show. Enjoy! Two Broke Writers. We are two graduated writing students who have currently not been paid for uh, any writing that we've done, I guess. And um, we have really weird accents. Um, that's what we, that's the extent of what we have in common. <laughs> so we are talking about Arcane today, which is... I apologize in advance for any just fangirling I do over the show. Because yeah, I forced Nikki to watch it and I think she was sort of resentful for the first two episodes because she was... I was not <laughs> resentful, I was just like, I was trying to react correctly. <laughs> she, was, she was like, uh, but then eventually we, she watched it the second time and yeah. uh, enjoyed oh, it a lot more. Yeah, well, the other thing, I fell in love definitely from the fourth episode mm. which is after the time jump yeah at that point i was like i am so invested <laughs> um so yeah and it was at that point that like i didn't wait to rewatch things with you and i was like watching them by myself at midnight um <laughs> so we are here probably for the same reason as you in that um we realized that we have to deal with the fact that the next season is not going to come out until like what 2023 so this is our coping right. mechanism yeah Anyway. Well, it's it's <laughs> withdrawal suits the um the Zorn theme. Yeah, because, the uh, Shimmer theme. Yeah, most of them are addicted to that. Melissa, do you want to give us a rundown of what it's about, how it connects to League of Legends? Yeah, so sure. Arcane is essentially the backstory of champions from the game League of Legends, and the quickest way that I can describe it is that two sisters are trying to find their place in. The world as it the world begins to discover magic and i they eventually become rivals and that's all i'm gonna say because <laughs> i feel like i got a spoil nikki got a spoiler from uh hearing... it was from the blurb yeah the blurb says it's rivals i feel like they should have held that back no but, but that's the thing because that's known in the game is that that's the main right. thing that was already known about the characters that um it was believed they were sisters but one of them was on the side of piltover the other one was on the side of zorn um actually before we get into it i just wanted oh. to mention this point the message is the medium so some Canadian guy said it, and I think it's really helpful because, like, do you do you want to give his name or do you? Yeah, sure, Marshall McLuhan. Um, but I think it's a really helpful idea because he was talking about how when you're studying communications, you should always study the medium. It's that's actually, and he thought that was more important than the message itself because that shapes them, and it's how we receive things that matters. Um, you look at how um, social movements have spread on uh, social media, and it's only the effect of something going viral, like online, and the way something like lots of people can post it can be spread but also like at the same time social movements can also not work sometimes on social media because of the way things are presented what you see and don't see that is always going to be different to social movements happening in any other setting it's completely made by that format so so how yeah. do you think that translates to moving from a video game to an animated tv series like how does that affect i guess the message um well clearly they've had to go in a very different direction because from what i've read and okay actually we should save this disclaimer now and hopefully this doesn't make you stop <laughs> listening so neither melissa or i um by the way my name is lynn um have played league of legends and look i'm a gamer melissa is not but before you stop listening the reason why we wanted to actually keep it that way when recording this episode is we're trying to provide an outsider's perspective which i guess is what we've wanted to do for marvel as well we've both seen like almost all the films like i used to be a huge superhero fan like the one who had all the shirts and like 
was basically expect people to pull up their credentials to like have a conversation with me about Marvel <laughs> and stuff. But we're trying to sort of be a bridge between the fan base and like the outside audience because we're also writers and so we're deliberately trying not to be influenced by the game and to take it fresh. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's not to say that it's not credible that fans of the game are also liking are also love the show, but I think the fact that people who have never played the game ever, I'd heard of it, the title maybe, I had no idea who the characters were, I hadn't seen any images, mm. but I watched it and I loved the show. And I think that sort of attests to the level of quality it is. Yes. So like don't let anyone if anyone says that you can't watch the show unless you played the game. Don't send them the send them this podcast yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we'll prove them that they will enjoy it too. And I guess, look, I'm I think it's very much a case by case basis thing. But I think that if something is only enjoyable to people who have all of this prior knowledge of the characters in the world and stuff, then that yeah. is I would argue that in most cases that is lazy storytelling. It's a shame that it can't be enjoyable to more people. I think what we're in agreement about is that Arcane is very good at um, bringing new people into their world, and that's awesome. Yeah, and they also do have Easter eggs. Like sometimes I would be scrolling through, you know, like YouTube comments or something, and someone would be like, "Oh, this shot was a reference to like this moment in the game," and I was like, "Great, that's cool, that's great," because that means you know they're very aware that there are two different audiences, and they are clearly serving something that both or everyone enjoys, and mm. that's. That's a real feat, and I it I'll yeah. just mention that it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is not to be yeah. <laughs> sneezed at. Yeah, this is a little bit of a side tangent on Death the Author, so we won't spend too long on this. But I think it really it's interesting to think about Death the Author in context of books versus TV shows or movies. Yeah, because with a book, it literally is the author, and of course just the one person. Of course, there was an editor who came in, and they were probably beta readers and everything. But at the end of the day, the author like did wrote the whole thing. Um, and we don't know the names of any of the editing team, no matter how unless, essential they were. Unless you go in the acknowledgements, but then, you know. But then, but they don't have a status like the author does. Yeah. Like they're not the yeah. ones with Twitter accounts. And... <laughs> well, but yeah, exactly. But then you have TV shows where you're going to have staff teams of five people, and then you have the story editor, and mm. then you have your showrunner, you have your executive producers, you have the directors, you have the actors. Everyone is bringing their own like take and nuance on it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, more of a collective storytelling. So yeah, it, it is interesting. I don't know where I'm going with that. That's but. okay. <laughs> anyway, back to our game. Yeah. So I, I guess the way to to think about we won't go deep into the plot, but it's really it's showing where these characters are growing from. So a lot of people who play the game know who the champions are, but they don't know how they got there, what happened to them before, how they got to this place. Mm. So characters like uh, Jinx, like gamers had never known her backstory before and how it connected with her sister Vi. And so it's really taking what were just kind of stock standard characters and it's giving them backstory, it's giving them mm. lives before the game. And I think that's what's made it so successful for the gaming community is that it's not just showing what happens in the game, it's here's what comes before it and making yes. them really care about the characters, building empathy, building these connections. Mm. And it's because I feel like what a lot of adaptations try and do is they do exactly what happened in the game. Yes. <laughs> but that's not really interesting because people have played the game if they've played the game you want more about the characters that's what people connect to always mm. it's about characters not place if that makes sense yeah um and let's talk about that for a moment something else i read was the world wasn't 
sort of built that way. And I'm not saying that the game League of Legends doesn't have that much world building. I'm saying it's different to something like Red Dead Redemption, where the world is really developed and like fleshed out. It's yep. also, yeah, it's, it's quite different to the games that people like to play for, I guess, the stories. Um, and like, yeah, yeah, a different genre of game. And I think that's what's interesting is that they are taking it from sort of that champion like battle place at least from what my understanding to a more like story based mm. like it's not there's a lot of fighting in arcane but it's still very connected to the characters it's, it's not like um i can't remember the name for the type it's not battle focused and yeah i also just like you look at the games that have been turned into movies like as in like mario has a movie which some people seem to like Wait, and kind of can't be coming out oh i don't know and i don't want to know <laughs> um but like look that's literally like a platformer game like and also just like there yeah. are so many games where there are quests that like quests right often rescue quests like there's also like um it's it's that's the same for legend of zelda like it's sort of like you know save the princess or um right. in the horror end of games there's lots of really gruesome like revenge ones where it's like the main character who's automatically you know a straight white male um like you like you see like his wife or his daughter or his girlfriend or someone like either killed or like kidnapped kidnapped or just something like that like there are so many and that's very different like look like personally whilst i generally don't like that um sort of base quest concept unless it's done well i feel like that's a very different that's something that works better in or it works differently in games to how it does in tv shows and movies because um, the audience is active in that and so that makes the very simple concept more engaging in the same way the good versus evil it's like but you're part of the fight that's very different whereas I've heard and I've heard um, one of the comments I've heard on why video games to movies often doesn't work is just because it you become too passive and often like it's just like lots of fight scenes and yeah. yes people like fight scenes of course but if you're not it's sort of it's missing something and in the same way like i don't think that red dead could ever actually be turned i'm not sure if it could be turned into a good tv show don't quote me on that someone could do a good job <laughs> but there's so much story already in there and part of what people love about it is because it's an open world you drive how the story plays out and like there's like it, it's very cinematic there's all these cut scenes with like beautiful animation and so on um but and it's kind of like uh sorry i'm jumping here but kind of like a uh, fallen order um as well yep. the star wars game it's just like so much of it comes from you exploring the world yourself and it's really difficult to recreate that feel in a movie because like the way a protagonist explores their world of themselves just it, the runtime is completely different everything in a movie needs to be faster and it's not about you in the same way and so it's yeah. like how do you replace that the enjoyment that comes from that agency with something else and i feel like arcane's answer to that was we're going to develop the world, we're going to develop the characters and make you care about all of them. So, Yeah, and I've got a couple of thoughts on like why we care about them, but I think circling back quickly to yeah. sort of the good versus bad and how Arcane avoids that is I think every character does a really great job of justifying themselves. Yes. There's something that Aaron, Aaron Sorkin says, which is that he's like, make write your characters when they're trying to, like, as if they're at the gates of heaven yelling to God trying to justify what they've done with them, their lives. Like, I love that. So it's like everyone's got their thing of like, no, but like with Zon, it's like, you know, their filter was oppressing us, we don't have freedom, like we deserve the right to be able to like govern ourselves and like they don't give us anything, they have everything. And so, and then from 
you know, Piltover, they've got their own sort of justification for, well, they're dangerous, they're gonna hurt us, they're violent, and everyone has their own reasons. It's not just like, I'm gonna be evil because I like being evil. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a reason behind it. And yeah. they all think that they're the good guy. Yes. They all think they're the good guy, and I like how they're all, and I should mention, sorry, we should have said this at the start, I don't think we're going to be able to have this discussion without spoilers. <laughs> spoiler warning, guys. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, please do not continue from this point until you have watched Arcane. Watch the show, wonderful. you won't regret it. Yeah. It'll be yep. your favourite, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> High stakes. Um, but I just love, like, how each, like, the... The world feels so much bigger than all the characters. Something that always annoys me in movies, and yes, you're gonna learn that I'm a very anti-movie, pro-TV show person, <laughs> is that like movies have to be driven by the protagonist's action, by the protagonist being in the right place at the right time. Like with Luke in like is the, like Luke Skywalker is like a textbook example. Like um, we learn that his father is significant. We learn that he has the Force, and he happens he gets. He gets the droids from the Jawas, he gets the message from Princess Leia, like he happens to get it, that sends him to find Obi-Wan Kenobi, then he's like learning and like he's just, like it's all driven by where he is and who he is, not what he's done, he's already the chosen one. Mm -hmm. And then it, and then like it's all about him and his relationships to Darth Vader, his relationships Spoil to Spoiler warning for Star Wars by the way guys, <laughs> if you haven't seen I, it. I just, I just took that as a given, sorry. <laughs> um, I probably shouldn't do that. No, it's fine, I'm, I'm joking. There's nothing wrong with enjoying that sort of thing. But personally, it's not for me because I I rather something where um, the world feels so much bigger than a single character because like then there's more going on and, and maybe it's just me I find worlds more interesting than like just like focusing on the one character and I feel like none of the characters just feel in control of their actions like um, were Jace and Victor able to predict their success with Hextech no and then that just that completely changed the world and then suddenly like they had no idea that Powder took um, some of the um, like gemstones and created a mass explosion which changed her life, changed Silco's life and everything. Like there's all these things going on and like they just can't, none of them are in control and that's super awesome. I think that's what you really like feel and I, and I, I was trying to get back to something that you said. Um, but just in terms of them justifying themselves, like they've all got so many things going on. Like, like personally, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Jace and that's okay. Like I like watching him, but I'm like, not a fan and just like there's a bit towards um it's in the last episode i believe like where vi and jace like uh like they're taking out one of um silco's manufacturing plants together because they're like yeah we're striking at silco and yeah. then they discover that all the workers are like children and then like i feel like it's sort of implied that well given that they're employed it's probably not their choice and they realize that they killed several kids and for jace that's such a big moment and he like morally gets all upset about it and is like oh no i can't do this anymore and stuff and yes vi is equally upset about the dead kids at the same time she's like there are more dead kids she was like this is what it's like living in silco's world and jace is all like backing out basically doesn't want anything to do with it anymore whereas vi says no you've always been in this fight you've just had your head in the mud and, yeah. and she's like you've always been affecting this you just weren't the one delivering the killing blow before and I, I just love that line because I think that just sums up like, it's so different between people who are incredibly privileged and people who are not in terms of who has the, sort of the choice to participate in things like politics and yeah. like, civil rights. Vi doesn't have a choice. This is her life. Whereas Jace has that choice because he's privileged enough. He can just go back home and like forget about this. Exactly. And like feel better about himself because he's not killing kids anymore. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think Jace is an interesting character. And part of my theory on why we don't like him as much as 
Victor is probably against because he's privileged and he does end up getting into corruption. I was like, come on, dude, you were just against this a second ago. But anyway, I, I think it's because a lot of the other characters have very strong relationships with other characters. Like, we love characters who love people. So we, mm. we love Vi because she loves Jinx. We love Jinx because she loves her sister and Silco. We love, well, you especially love Silco because yes. he loves Jinx. Echo kind of loves his family. Um, Caitlin. We, we love Caitlin because of her relationship with Vi. Yeah. If she was, if Caitlin was by herself, we'd get bored. Exactly. We're like, why are we following her? So it's all about relationships. Yeah. And the thing with, with Jace is he sort of cares for Victor, but he doesn't care as much as we care about Victor. And that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> and we don't see Victor's sadness. And also just, I think, I think Jace is so important, right? Because that, I feel like he's part of what make, makes Victor a good character. Like they have that confrontation on the bridge where, you mm -hmm. know, this is really ugly police control and then you have Jace being like I can't believe you've done this and it's like messing up like, you know he's told Victor nothing of his plans Victor has not been part of any of those boardroom conversations so like you know Victor's getting a hard time from Jace and then Jace is all like oh but they're from the Undercity they could hurt us and Victor's just, just like I'm from the Undercity mm -hmm. and it's just the sickest burn it shuts <laughs> Jace up and we need Jace for that and I think that even though like and I know some people don't like to think about the connection of politics with like the stories that we tell like you know we tell ourselves like arcane but I think that characters like Jace, Caitlin, Mel and a few of the others are really good at showing the intersections of privilege and oppression without making anyone a good guy or a bad guy because I feel yes. like by comparison it's way easier to like Caitlyn and kind of like you said because she has that relationship with Vi but Caitlyn and Echo have that confrontation. Echo gets really angry about the things that Caitlyn says because admittedly Caitlyn is being very unfair to Zorn and is expressing I mean, a very... she was kidnapped but you know. She, she was but she's basically saying like what? No you can't keep it. What would the people of Zorn do with it? And so oh, yeah. Like that's sort of like fear mongering of oh my gosh we can't trust the people. Anyway, yep. but I, I really liked that because then Vi has another amazing line where she says, like, she breaks up the fight and says to Echo, she believes what she's saying. She's not the enemy. And I think that was really important because, mm. yes, Caitlin is choosing to be part of the solution rather than the problem. To some extent, that sort of absolves the fact that, yes, she is privileged, but she's not the decision maker. She's not one of the counselors. And so she doesn't have that same responsibility in terms of decisions yeah. that govern pe people like Echo's lives and stuff. So. Definitely. Yeah. It reminds me of the, um, I think it's the last episode when Victor and Jace are like on that little overlook over the river and I think Victor almost like steps off the edge. Mm. And then, what does Victor say to Jace? We oh, were... the, am I interrupting? Is what they say to each other. Oh, oh, the second time, yes. No, but there was a line that was like, we were so caught up trying to be great that we forgot to do good, which yes. I thought was really great. It's like Victor, again, it's Victor's haircut, and like Jace nods and whatever, but at the end of the day, I think Jace is, was still, he just got caught up in everything, in in the politics, in the corruption, and him wanting to be progress, Mr. Progress Man. And if, maybe we can talk about his relationship with Mel, because I always, I thought that was really interesting, like how yes. Mel started off sort of manipulating him, but then she kind of got him in power and seemed like she sort of started regretting what he'd become. Feels like she has all the power in the relationship, but then you also see how like with the time jump, you see that everything's just sort of happened way beyond what they expected. They couldn't have known what they transformed uh, Piltover into. And just a side note, like absolutely loved the time jump. It was beautiful how they <laughs> yes. did it visually and how they brought you in. How we like, it reminded me of the sub episode one, but it's just like, 
wow, you have to like relearn the whole world again. Amazing. Mm. Um, and sorry, we should get to a more structured discussion of that when we're talking about what we learned from this show as writers, but we'll come back to that later. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Mel feels like she has power of the relationship at several points, and which makes you, mm, should they really be in a romantic relationship if there's sort of a hierarchy here? But it seems, in general, their relationship seems completely healthy, and they're both it's interesting how they both influence each other because she's definitely taken by his vision and she wants that she like is very ambitious and she wants that for Piltover as part of making her legacy and everything and yeah it's just interesting and you see how she really influences the rest of the council as well what I love though is that she is played initially is very much a politician and then from the moment that we see a bit of her backstory and see her mother we yes. realize her moral struggles and how she realizes that she doesn't want to become like her mother she doesn't want to become ruthless and sacrificing lives no she's a diplomat she believes as she says war is a failure of statecraft yep. and she tries really hard to do the right thing and i love that she has that depth and she is completely her own character i feel like she is manipulating him but i feel like any other situation where you have a woman manipulating a man that's that sort of female character has made a seductress that's all the character is. Yeah. In some ways she's placed in a seducing role, even though the ro- romance actually comes later. But I feel like that's a sort of narrative function. But I love that they made her a good, likeable character in her own right. And it's not that she didn't exist just for that purpose. Yes. If you know what I mean. And like she wasn't some like femme fatale. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but what you said about like her like wanting to avoid war, it made me kind of rethink the sort of the scene where they're at the concert and Mel's telling Jace to like back off looking into sort of the corruption stuff. Mm. And maybe I'm thinking maybe it wasn't just that she was corrupt, but rather that she saw this is gonna lead to warfare, this is gonna lead to struggle, and that's the one thing she always wants to avoid. So mm. even if it does mean being a bit dirty in terms of politics and who gets money, at the end of the day she's justifying it in her head because, well, it's not like where I grew up where people would just People always end up fighting over money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yes, I, I agree with where you're coming from. I actually disagree with you there. And I would say that it's different to war, but she was avoiding conflict, definitely. But that's, I would argue that's because, and I think this comes up in lots of power theories about how the people who are in power always want the status quo to remain the same because that's that keeps fair. them in power. And whilst I don't mean that she's power hungry in that sense, but it is logical to not want the council to be infighting and stuff because then the council would be divided and that would affect their ability to govern well. I would argue that they're not governing well in the first place yeah, but yeah. that aside I think that's what that reflected and just sort of arguing but this is part of how, like just because if the corruption is just so inherent and normal then of course she wouldn't want it to go away so right yeah I, I saw that, that as separate and I, th- I thought that was quite more her politician side whereas I felt like her moral side came in more from when her mother came back and I saw that as kind of separate but no there's probably some overlap there no yeah. that's fair yeah i guess it's it can be several things at once can it oh definitely <laughs> yeah but yes um do you want to talk about your favorite silko yes i i always <laughs> want to talk about silko so i felt like for the first three episodes completely bored by him like yeah he had a nice voice and stuff <laughs> which is nice important voice. for animated series um he had the deep but it was just like villain and just like, but he always just had good lines. And also watching this a second time, like the confrontation between him and Vanda, Zilko just made so many boss points when he was just like, you know, why did you stop fighting for this? Why did you start accepting this? You know, and like, and I also love, that reminds me how with Vanda, even though he's the good guy, you don't know how to feel about the fact that he's got all these deals with the horses. Is that better? Mm. Is that worse? Like, I feel like they don't let you make your mind up on that. Interestingly, Silco, that's something that he accuses him of in episode three, and yet he ends up doing it in the exactly. next time skip. And I was like, 
There's some but, interesting parallels between their characters. But what's interesting there is that when Silco does it, it definitely feels more like, well, I don't want to say traditional, but realistic, like, oh, you hear about crime bosses paying off police so that they can keep doing their operations and stuff. Yeah. Whereas when Vanda did it, it was keeping a different sort of piece, like very much the same result. Mm. But I feel like those characters were portrayed so differently at that point in the narrative, like True. before the end of yeah. season one. Like they were made out to be very different. So that was just interesting. I feel like Silco just like, like generally like he was enjoyable as a villain at first because you're like okay he looks like a bad guy he has this cool underground lab bad guy bad guy he's creating this drug you also have um i know this comes after the time jump but just things like there's this amazing scene with him and the um policeman marcus mm -hmm. where like he hands marcus this, this explosive which is meant to be for evidence and then silco says oh what what are you thinking about the martyr that you always saw yourself as do it and like you see marcus considering like blowing them both up just yeah. like, like end this whole relationship but of course he's not gonna do it and I just love that like he just completely understood Marcus in that mm. moment that and Marcus really clearly thought he was doing the right thing he also knew he was corrupt I just love that but I think what makes Silco such a great character is that I know people probably have different varying levels of feelings towards him but you care about him because we care about Jinx we care about Jinx yes. so much because we emotionally engage with her and that's what makes me love him so much as a character like I was neutral towards him first three episodes she goes to him at the end and like returns the and takes her in and then that was that was like a surprising moment from that point onwards he's her father and he's characterized so well by, by that like I know that's not an inherently good thing I know like sometimes like it's a shame when a character is only characterized by their relationship with another character and that's the extent of it like yeah. I feel like that's why sometimes but he adds more he's is... got so much more than that and I think it really adds to his character because and this is not Jinx's fault in any way but how because she's so because she's so talented and she's so, in some ways, powerful beyond her intentions. That's how she she causes problems for him in a lot of ways. And again, not intending to. A lot of problems. A lot of problems. It doesn't help that her style is very distinctive with the yeah. like the drawings and art that she does. But she causes a lot of problems for him. And yes, you can see how in some ways like she was helpful to him in terms of building up his enterprise. But he's actually, in some ways, very like rationally, and I don't mean this in a harsh way, but like inconvenient for him. Like she creates, like she causes divisions with all of, all of his other allies and stuff because they hate working with yes. her, and like, and they blame her for everything. And I love how you have that, but he clearly has this unconditional love for her. And you just like, I love the little things about their relationship, things that I never acknowledge, like how, um, like she like does the injection to his eye thing, yes. which you clean it. Like, and and that was just sweet, and that's something that you do with like family when you like you care for each other and stuff. That's just, it was, um, inconvenient for him, but like when you saw them together. It was just so, there was no, they didn't spend time on baggage. Like, yes, he emotionally helped to deal with things, but just like you have like things like him yelling at her over her music until he smashes it. Jinx! 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 And just like that, or there's like when he's trying to teach her something and she's like, blah, 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 you've told me this so many times before. And so just like, I love that. It's just, that's just so real. And I love that, like, they didn't feel that this show had to be super dark and moody all the time in order to be cool. Like, no, they had genuine human moments. Like, cause that's what people are like. And like, and even like, if, even if he wasn't the, the perfect father, I'm sure she was raised in a criminal organization and everything. It's still like, that's just how people respond. People adapt, form loving relationships with those around you. Not, not with everyone, but yeah. Or even just like Savika who hated Jinx. They worked terribly together. <laughs> but even she has a moment of like telling Silco, look, I didn't get on with my dad she'll come to you just give her time and stuff just like the little moments like that i feel like they that relationship was like after the relationship between like jinx and Vi was i think one of the things that sort of carried 
the show because like, yes. even though not everyone was necessarily invested in them, you know, um, remaining a happy father-daughter duo, like it still drove a lot of the emotional notes. People weren't necessarily as invested in Sukkot's mission as I was. Like, yes, I know he did lots of horrible things. And like, um, when I was watching it with my boyfriend, like when we got to like the children in the factory, he was like, okay, that's the line for me. <laughs> no, nope, not a fan of Silco. You're on your own. <laughs> um, she was abandoned. And I was like, fair enough. But and like, but just I think that's why the ending was emotional for a lot of people because I know lots of people didn't care about Silco like I did. But you saw how emotional it was for Jinx. And well, I mean, he said his last line of like, don't cry, you're perfect. Like, he wasn't even angry at her for killing no. him. He was like trying to reassure her, yeah. reaffirm her. Oh, that was beautiful. I mean, she's not perfect, but and, it was nice. And, well, no, it is, but also that's. And you, well, you tell I mean, someone... he, she's a little further from perfect than perhaps some other people in terms of like killing a lot of people. But, <laughs> but like at the same time, and even though his perspective is flawed, your perfect is what she needed to hear and it's like as someone who's clearly so insecure and so fragile it's that sort of like loving well yeah yeah. it's because she's been well she thinks she was abandoned essentially and so she needs that reaffirmation of love yeah and also just even though he tells her that she's perfect and he does actually say earlier on jinx is perfect and stuff that doesn't mean that he doesn't criticize her and like try and reprimand her to do better and stuff like he doesn't see her as flawless and therefore beyond all criticism like he clearly did the both like tough love and soft love type thing the ending i felt that they found a really organic way to reach silko having to choose between everything he wanted his dream and jinx because i feel like that's often what movies and like stories want to get to they want to have this massive choice like oh what will they do it's like like high school musical will he choose (laughs) gabriella or will he choose basketball i love that comparison um it always feels like like i feel like high school musical is the metaphor for bisexuality but anyway let's not get into that um but i just thought it was like they reached it in a really natural way because it was through a negotiation and then you genuinely didn't know what Silco was going to do, I felt like. Cause Until we got to Vander's statue. And then because he was with Vander, I was like, mm. he was like, daughters are the ruination of us or something like that. And I was like, ah, so you're not going to choose her. Got yeah, it. I was pretty sure, but I, I, saw, I was still worried. And then like, I love the line that, is there anything so undoing as a daughter? But just oh, yeah, like, sorry. what was so beautiful about him sitting at Vander's statue was he, when they had the confrontation in episode three, they clearly respected each other. Well, okay, maybe Vander didn't respect Silco, but they clearly agreed on a lot of things. There's a reason why they were brothers and they were so close at one point. They shared a lot of the same vision. And Silco didn't understand. Like, like he kept saying, you know, Vander, like, you know, you've gone soft. He felt that he felt so angry at Vander because he felt that he'd abandoned that vision, which was going yes. to make the world better for everyone. And and sure, Silco's world is definitely not perfect and terrible for lots of people. But that aside for a moment, just I think that that moment when he's at Vander's fountain, mm. you realize that he's about to make the same choice that Vander did in terms of giving himself up for his daughter, because that's, that's what Vander did for the kids. And, and that's his moment of, of character growth. Then it's it's a really interesting like parallel. You're like, ah, so when it comes down to it, like people do choose family. Exactly, and you can see why Jinx did not understand that. It's not just that she was abandoned by Vi. I think that's also something that's really good at showing is that it's not that she blames. Like she feels like she was genuinely abandoned and it was going on but also like the world that they were living in was already broken we get that from the yeah. opening where we see vi and powder is really little they live in a horrible world and like enforcers are incredibly oppressive and not their friends and just with the fishes everyone's sick and they like no one has what they need and just violence is the response to like almost everything like both from the enforcers people amongst each other yeah you're not taught the right responses to things because you don't have the option and so 
You can see why Jinx doesn't understand what Silco's about to do and thinks he's about to give her up. You understand why when he like raises the gun to point at Vi that she instinctively shoots him because like as in yes she's acting very impulsively but like, like you just can't blame her at all because this is the yeah. world that she's been raised in and she doesn't like emotionally have any other options so yeah and like yes I was heartbroken that she shot him because I sort of thought even though he's not perfect he was her one point of stability he was the one keep thing keeping her grounded at points yeah I thought Unfortunately, I feel like Silco's death was necessary for yeah. his character arc and the arc of their relationship and showing just how much it meant. Um, and, and, yeah. and the season overall. Like, I mean, someone, you kind of feel like then Zolan, it loses in one capacity, but then Jinx sort of makes Piltover lose with, you know, the bombing of the camp. Why don't we leave that into our what, what lessons yeah. we learned from the show? Yes. Um, consequences, I think, is yep. a good one. Because, yep. And that's something that I know we've both been taught in creative writing. It's just that, like, the interesting parts of stories often the consequences mm. and so on. And again, I feel like that's something that movies don't like to do, especially when, like, like okay, let's take another example, like a game of like, just like Tomb Raider. Like, the first movie, that was an adventure. By the time it ends, you're basically at the status quo. You're basically where you start. That things are like fine again, because like, the, the the adventure yeah. is over. And so the second movie, they just tried to replicate the success by like basically making a carbon copy of it with more stunts, more exciting exotic locations, and stuff like that. And it's like that's the problem with movies a lot of the time is that they don't know whether they're going to make a sequel or not. And so like it has to feel complete. It has to feel complete and so on. And you always sort of end up where you started. <laughs> Whereas this. Um, and that, that's the thing, I feel like the reason for that is because I feel like there's a huge relationship between consequences and world building, if you see what I mean. Because Absolutely. ideally the consequences of your character's actions should change the world they live in. And I love that like Arcane just dove into that. Like they were not afraid to like completely turn the world upside down by episode four. Like think about all the work, like the artwork just like changes and everything. Mm -hmm. And clearly from the way it ended with um, the counselors being nuked, the world is just going to change completely again. Yes. Like, I love how they're just completely unafraid of doing that. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's a big thing for me as well. It's like, just they, they're willing to make their characters suffer, yes. <laughs> like, a lot. And they, they hit them hard, and they know just the right times to do it. Like, they let you build up, they let you see the relationships, everyone loves each other, hurrah, even as things are going, you know, badly. But then they just hit you with the worst thing, someone gets killed, someone gets kidnapped. Mm. You, They're constantly, like, pushing them in sort of really dark places. And that cliffhanger, I mean, mm. that's more about the audience suffering. <laughs> yeah, oh, and that, but that's the <laughs> but thing. That's in, great. In, in, in order, and I think you've actually touched on a really good point, in order to make characters suffer, it has to hurt the audience, otherwise... Yeah, yeah and just, like... Um, that's the thing, because it wasn't, when characters died, it wasn't contained, like, it wasn't like it was just a personal loss. Like, you know, like, there's often, like, in hero movies, there's, like, the loss of the mentor or, yeah. or I don't know, the love interest sometimes, but something here... like that. But it's like, and it just affects them, whereas here, it's like, any character death was part of something bigger. Yes. Like, like with like with Victor losing Sky, we realized how much she actually meant to him, but it was because of, like, dealing with the um, hex core, which is something he didn't understand. Like, there's always something bigger going on and we're probably yeah. about to lose some of the counselor characters i don't know who we're gonna lose between like jace victor mel if they're all gonna survive caitlin's mother is definitely dying is oh my yes theory. that's gonna fuel caitlin's motivation yeah because it becomes personal yep. but like see even that like it's not just that someone shot caitlin's mom or something like that it wasn't just that jinx went and just gunned her down either. <laughs> i'd be happy with jinx doing that um but it, it was 
there are so many it's, it's always the world is always so much bigger than a few characters and so and so there's that aspect of it um but also because every time like there are these big deaths and stuff it changes the whole world and then like the world looks different and that i feel like that sort of makes the the knife going a bit the knife going mm. a bit deeper for the audience because not only are you losing these characters that you care about but you're also losing this world that you care about you have to like start over again and like you're, you keep yes. getting thrown out of your comfort zone so yeah yeah all in all i think i think the show is just pretty much a masterpiece in terms of like really great animated tv fantasy mm. like i it's I got, the quality level is definitely up there with with the best. Yeah, the precision, the detail, and the heart to everything is is amazing. So, yeah, definitely. I think they also um, just in terms of when I were talking about who their audience is, I think that something they understood really well was how to do something that is for a mixed age group. So it's not quite for kids. It's a bit too violent for that. And I feel like from episode three, that signals the tonal shift. Everything is light and happy in the first three episodes. And they then when you have kids in episode three, and you're you, like, right, okay. I feel like that's the best <laughs> signifier. And also like the when Jinx's plan goes wrong. Yeah. Because you don't know how it's gonna. Go. You assume it's gonna work, and yes, it did work, but. I I was so shocked when like Milo like he just like this pipe just like impales him in the chest in like his heart and I was like oh my gosh the I first think, time watching I think that was such a powerful move and he I just looked like, down it and I was like he's gone this is it yeah I love that because I feel like um, and I understand why because like. Um, franchises like Marvel and Star Wars, they really want to stay in the family-friendly zone, so they will never do that. They will never show you blood. And because we're There was like, so much spit in the show. Yeah. Every time there was a slow-mo, it was like spit flying, blood flying. I love that. Um, whereas that was just like, that signified that it wasn't for kids, but also, I don't know, whilst like some people felt like it had a young adult feel, I love that even though I feel like this is a show that's meant to be enjoyable for adults as well, because there are lots of adult fans of League of Legends, that didn't mean that they had to like slam in all the sex scenes, all the like the most yeah. gruesome aspects of fun. It's like, yes, there was blood and stuff, but it wasn't like a gore fest. Like yeah. they didn't have to make it like, as in I feel like, no offense, whenever like someone, um, and like look, anime does this way better, but I feel like whenever like someone in the Western world makes animation and they're like there for adults, they're like, it must have sex, swearing, all the violence and just like I mean, they, they, they had to push yeah. it to the R18 plus frame whereas they didn't do that they just like, like there settled was a on this, little like, bit of like, like nudity but it was like nothing was revealing and so it was and yeah. it wasn't the focus no there was a point to it a story point it wasn't it. just like background dressing and they didn't need yeah. to do that which is nice it's refreshing <laughs> at last <laughs> oh, yeah yeah so all in all final thoughts on Arcane I liked that the writing and the dialogue never felt like the most important thing. Everything worked together and I think that is the power of animation, especially when doing something that is like fantasy, is like we had the montage, like I think one of my favourite parts, it's also because it's a song, um, is like when um, you've got Echo and Jinx facing yes. off against each other and like um, something I know is because I've heard that, um, and this is a spoiler, sorry, but I know that I've heard that Echo from the game, like he has this device which allows him to time travel. So he gets into fights and then he goes back so he knows every person's move and move. and like and so he always wins fights and stuff and i love how that was implied both because echo and jinx knew each other as kids so that's why you the flashbacks to them as kids but that was also sort of like you know going back into the past and then you see in the montage which completely changes animation style of like yeah the way he's leaping and he's like anticipating and stuff but like that's done like like the, i love that they're happy to do things like that and like there's no dialogue it's just all like visuals and it's the music and 
they, like I love how they they weren't afraid to do that. Like they yes. they weren't they, they didn't feel like they had to become super like art house in order to do that or something. It's just like it's just part of the show. Like it's just yeah. They were confident enough in in the visuals and the power of the visuals. They didn't have to be like. And this is them playing as kids, folks. Remember their friends? Like yeah. it's and there were no dramatic. They didn't. They didn't have to say like, oh, but we knew each other as kids. Like there was nothing yeah. like that. Like they just face off each other. They both know they're gonna enjoy it a bit, and then they just like, yeah, they yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah. I think so. If you somehow haven't watched Arcane, but you've decided to sit through all the spoilers, please do watch it. You will definitely not regret it. And. I honestly can't wait for season two. Oh. I will be skipping through 2022 with Echo's time travel watch. This that, is my plan. That, that is an excellent idea. Oh, I should join the club. Okay, before we go, we are gonna do some unpaid plugs. Yes. Unpaid plugs, we're really not getting paid to do this, but we wish that these people were getting paid um, for what they do. Absolutely. Um, so. Do you want me to go first? You can go first? Okay, my unpaid plug is a series I try and convince everybody to read. It's a novella series, sci-fi, the Murderbot series by, I believe it's Martha Wells. Uh, I've never related more to a robot in my life, more than so than some human characters. And the reason why is a robot has social anxiety and also just wants to avoid people and watch TV all day. So I also <laughs> love that it's, she wants, uh, it wants to watch trashy yes. sitcoms all yes. day. Well, that's not necessarily me. I can totally relate to the avoid people, watch TV, watch movies, just leave me alone world. Yeah, and I feel like the, the persona is way more complex than that we can describe it. And just... It builds across the novella. Like, there's several novellas in the series, and there's fantastic AIs, there's great world building, a lot of humor. If you like sci-fi, definitely check it out. But even if you don't like sci-fi, I feel like it's, like, it's pretty... Accessible? It's yeah. not, you don't have to know physics. <laughs> what amazes me is that they've managed to do like hard sci fi, like everything technically makes sense, whilst also not feeling like, because I know some people feel overloaded by hard sci fi. I feel like it's also a very light, easy, immersive read. Like it's very engaging, emotional. The narrator's really funny. It just all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right, what's your plug? Today I am plugging um, the magazine Overland. Um, I just read their 2021 winter edition. I just signed up with them. Um, yeah, so Overland is an Australian magazine, which lots of people call Marxist, lots of people call progressive, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can read lots of their articles for free online. Um, I swear I'm not paid for this. Um, <laughs> and like they have lots of free stuff on there, but you can also subscribe and get their physical copies. Most of the stuff, like they have excerpts of the stuff that goes into the print editions online, but generally the online stuff is completely different to the print. So it's like, there's always more to read. There's actually so much to read. Um, I just have, I felt like most of the articles I've read on there, and also even short stories, poetry, have just really resonated with me. Um, they're often just very different perspectives. Like um, I read a beautiful sort of, like they have lots of personal essays. Essays that are both very academic and very personal, and it's just you just makes you go, how did you find these people, and how do they write <laughs> something like this? Like I read, um, it was called, I think it was like the something unfolding and folding of a name. Um, I, I will include the link for this. Uh, a, a Bosniak uh, woman's experience of living as um, a Muslim uh, migrant in Australia when she is when she's white passing, and how that's different to the image that most people have of Muslims, and how mm. Islamophobia has really risen over the last twenty years. But again, she doesn't wear hijab; she is white because she's um, like from Bosnia, and so that's just different. What it's like for her, like how 
her name is really hard to pronounce and how she's like she feels she's broken down herself to fit into people's worldviews but also how she sort of reclaimed her identity as Muslim even though she's an atheist from her and how she's reclaimed that as a cultural perspective and how when she um, moved back with her relatives in Bosnia how she realized that um, being Muslim can be cultural as well it was just amazing and I feel like yeah everything I've read um, like especially all these articles just have like are just really beautiful and just really different like I also like there was a short story that they published which was about um, a woman getting over her relationship but not actually the guy itself it was that she was briefly stepmom to his son and they just had that special relationship and I just really felt seen in that story because um, and I guess this is probably also what I feel about Silco and Jinx um, meaningful parent relationships are just beautiful to me and I think it's really nice when you see it in situations where it's not necessarily biological parents I feel especially because like step parents always demonize I don't like that um, because I have blended family myself but it's just really beautiful when you see like those relationships which no one expects to yeah. work out but when like they're shown to have so much depth and be so personal it's just really lovely and like and you can't replace that so I highly recommend the magazine check them out for free online um, they're pretty cool pretty user-friendly and I know they seem kind of floral and academic and yes like some of the authors use bigger words than you need to use um, <laughs> lots of insightful stuff there Awesome. Well, you've been listening to Two Broke Writers, and we'll see you next time.